0: On the lighter side of baseball, as promised, I'm here with one of my favorite guests, and we managed to uh, overcome our technological brilliance, and we are today together and honored to be with Bobby Durnier, part
1: of the Daily Double. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. It's, you know, we were talking uh, almost a year later, if not exactly one year later, that we spoke, uh, you know, on the phone, but uh, in this sort of uh, environment, and we were, you know, beginning of COVID, so now here we are and i'm obviously i'm a cub guy but i'm still a kc guy you know we're we're uh, pulling for the royals too and and it matches my outfit today so sorry jamie i'm going with kc half today bro.
0: <laughs> well for you folks out there i have the benefit and uh, and bobby does too we're uh video and audio and you'll probably get the audio feed Or uh, i tell people that uh my my looks are good for audio, not video. Bobby, on the other hand, man, he's an established broadcaster and and a professional athlete, and uh, he's got the whole package, but he's sporting Kansas City gear. I'm a season ticket holder. My son went out to opening day.
1: You know, yeah, I can share that with you because you're a hybrid kind of, you know, we have the American National League thing going there. And of course, having played all National League, I'm a decided, you know, traditionalist. I still like the old game. And make the pitchers hit, I'll admit it. I kind of like them having to go up there and maybe take one in the ribs if they need to. I totally uh, agree. Yeah, we saw that in Cincinnati with our old buddy Castellanos. They got got off to a good start. And it's good to see the Cardinals uh, you know, get slapped around a little bit too. Huh? Uh,
0: that was so great, and you clued me into that. Bobby and I visited on the phone before, uh, before I think game number – two for the cubs maybe it was after game number two i guess it was easter eve and you tipped me off about uh nick castellanos and his uh god he's such a gamer i mean he's the bobby denier era guy isn't he
1: well i you know i don't know I, I always look at it like this um he could have played in any decade you know he, he's just a uh, strapping on go out there and play hard yeah he might be emotional uh well heck i mean there's a big haul pass for that today. We we could barely high five back in my era, but now you can do backflips, you know, a couple of cart cartwheels and yell at a guy if you want to and not really worry about it. So I didn't see that he did a whole lot of baseball crime there, Jamie. I don't know about you.
0: No, not at all. In fact, uh, again, you clued me into the press conference afterwards, and it's, so, you know, and Rizzo's the – God love him, but everybody that gets to first base, it's like, you know, he wants to be their best friend. And I know that's the trend in baseball. You know, you don't slide in hard. You don't run over the catcher anymore. But I loved it when Castellanos goes, you know, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of being a loser. I didn't want to start the year one 2 by God. And uh, and then you had some good – you quoted him accurately about wanting a jersey from, uh, from Yachty. God, yeah. yep. I think the Reds are going to be pretty good.
1: I think they've got some talent. Yeah. Castellanos was just really honest there. And I think the press, you know, they're always dying for that. And in today's world, you know, it's almost a, you're risking your livelihood or, or something. If you do say something honest and maybe a little, you know, off color or something out of bounds in today's rules. I don't know. I just know that that I liked the guy, the little bit I was around him. And I, I liked when he was a cub, the way he went about it. And, uh, I think that stuff rubs off. Like he said, um, he wants that environment of winning. Remember Kurt Gibson?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, he didn't seem to have a problem in LA in 88 and he went in there and basically, you know, called guys out, Hey, this isn't a com- country club, Yeah, you know, I'm here to win. And, and so I kind of liked how he came across there. I, I would get right in line, uh, beside him and, 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 uh, go out there and battle 162. I know that.
0: You know, as a fan, and I can only speak as a fan, the, uh, I like to see guys with dirty pants. I like to see guys slide in, take an extra base, gap hit, not strike out. I love that. You know, and if it's old school baseball, I mean, I don't care. Do, do I not like Billy Martin because he was a peppery guy? Hell no. I love Billy Martin. He was the kind of guy that you want to see. Nowadays, it's like, okay, we lost. Let's go and come back tomorrow.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I get the whole PC thing, you know, and everybody's really tight lipped and, 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 uh, you know, but the way they're handled too, you know, the, the schooling, the preparation they give you as a young player in the minor leagues is so intense now and not only language, but, you know, handling a lot of things that, that I wish they would have done when we played, to be quite frank. uh, I think it's smart, you know, give the guys a heads up. Here's what you need to know. Here's how you need to prepare. Here's what you can expect. All that stuff, uh, you know, worthy advice, right down to personal life, you know, and marriage and children or the choices they're in. So I, I, I kind of like when a guy's just a little brash, not, you know, we'll call it unafraid to go out there and, and play how he talks. He's not just a talker. So, you know, I don't know how far you want to go on Castellanos, but for me, I, I'd pick him in on my top 25 if I was picking the team.
0: Yeah, I hated to see him you know, get dumped by the Cubs. I hated to see, uh, um, Dexter Fowler, you know, uh, we probably have dwelled on this before, but chemistry is so important. And to break up a team after you win the world series seems to me to be a dumb deal. And even if it's a, a bit player and I hate the, you know, the budget and the money and we're a small blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, if you can't afford the deal, get out, pay everybody what they want. And let's get down. I'm so, uh, the, you know what? You're so optimistic. I did a podcast between my last podcast after I went to opening weekend and I, I concluded cause I was laughing that I had spoken with you and I concluded that I'm uh, uh, eternally negative and you are a, one of the more optimistic guys in the world because I was telling everybody this, the Cubs in two games got Uh, two hits in the opener, seven hits in the second game, and I talked to you, and you said, oh, their swings are really looking good. I'm going, what planet are you on, Dernier?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, and I only got to see, quite honestly, I only got to see um, parts of Saturday. I didn't see opening day. So I missed the the real non-hitting day, right? Right. They didn't get off to a good start. But, uh, you know, they got some guys that can hit, Jamie. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, you mentioned Rizzo. Rizzo's always been that, you know, when you do start a baseball team, I think you have to be able to commit to, you know, what do you want your lineup to look like? And my choice, and I remember somebody asked me this back in the nineties and I said, well, I'd take Jim Tomey first and then I would build in front of him and behind him. And, and, you know, Anthony's Jim Tomey in, in 2021, I think he has a chance to be, you know, maybe not quite the home run totals. Let's face that. I mean, that's a big number, but, Nonetheless, that big left-handed, sweaty dude in the middle of the lineup that takes no mierda from anybody. And you build guys in front that are on base when he's hitting and guys behind that can protect him. And uh, so, you know, with Anthony, you know, you still have Chris and Hobby and, 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 and Contreras and some decisions uh, to make. And so, like you said, yeah, I just wish – yeah, I think we all – I love Dexter, you know. And I love that style. Of, you know, Ian Happ is a worthy, you know, a guy to bank on, you know, switch hitter, got a little Mickey Mantle in him, kind of, you know, center fielder, can run. He brings some some stuff. He brings luggage, you know, not just carry on. So yeah. I like how they sort of had to make decisions. Dexter had to get paid. Guys have to get paid, Jamie, you know. That's, yep. just, that's just the reality of the game. So well, and that, I you, know. It, you know. I, I thought
0: the same thing. I don't like the luxury tax. I think the union is missing the boat by not getting a basement, but I know they're afraid if they get a basement, there'll be a ceiling. I think everybody ought to pay at least the average, which is about 125 million. Do you, now, number one, Bobby Denier was a spectacular player, and, and we'll talk all about that till the cows come home if you want to. Bobby Denier is a student of the game, and, and I'm just a fan Bobby analyzes pitching moves, base running, like Nellie, like our good buddy, Dave Nelson, who really brought Bobby and me together. But on top of that, I just, um, when the Padres left side of the infields were 600 million, don't Milwaukee brewers tell me you're in a small market. Uh, and if you don't want to pay, go sell it to the cones of the world who paid 4 billion for the Mets. So I just want, the old days i want the two hour 30 minute games i want bobby denier stealing i want the daily double to lead off and the louis abaricio nelly fox the bobby De Nier, you know sandberg that's me buddy and and i've got a podcast where i talk too much so talk for me
1: no not at all i get it and i think a lot of fans get what you just said they i have them tell me all the time uh and not just in that context not just because they saw me play or that era you know with rhino and us there in Chicago, they may have been watching Willie Wilson and Frank White and George Brett here, you know, or a number of other guys around the league, Tim Raines and Andre Dawson up in Montreal, the style of play, Ozzie Smith, Whitey, and all those cats in St. Louis, Willie McGee, and on and on. They liked the, 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 the kind of the, uh, the energy, I guess is how they were describing it of watching those games. It was, you didn't want to go to the bathroom, you know, like you know, this is happening. And, you know, you could go to the bathroom now and, and miss eight hitters and seven punch outs. And, you know, we just didn't do that. It was right. it, it was a game of contact and hitting holes and and behind runners and a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Uh, if you would have shifted on most of the guys in, in that era, we'd have hit 700. Uh, you know, we would just hit it where you're not standing. We were capable of that in, in large part. Now, you know, there's not all of anything, you know, or everything's not always the same. I get it. There are still players like that. And you know what? Watching Javi get second and third, you know, off that lefty, that remi- that's the stuff we're talking about. And And I think maybe we're getting a glimpse of a little more priority there. We'll see.
0: Um, yeah, you're exactly right. I had not seen Javi steal back-to-back bases, and and I've been a Cubs season ticket holder for as long as Javi's been there.
1: What an ugly,
0: um, I mean, to see him display it, you know? Yeah, if he could just lay off the the friggin' two-strike sliders. I mean, <laughs> tell me why in the world anybody, and maybe it's just pride, that's why guys don't lay a bunt down when there isn't anybody on the third base side of the field. Why anybody throws that due to fastballs beyond me?
1: Yeah, there's usually, uh, what what they're usually trying to do with them, unless they get behind, you know, and then it forces the hand a little bit. But they're usually trying to show him a fastball that he really can't handle that he'll swing at. And I know I can relate. I mean, they did that to me in a much lesser way. I mean, they wanted me to try to they wanted to try to get me to hit the ball in the air because I wasn't going to hit it 400 feet, Javi. Still might hit at 400 feet. So there's a different act there. But the idea is the same. Not a good pitch to hit. He'd be better off. He'd be in a little more discipline. But his nature, we all know, you know, how, like, you know, it would ruin him. So he's allowed him to continue to develop. I think Rossi gets that too. It's a big year for Javi. You know, he needs to make a little more contact if he expects to get get paid maybe like Lindor or one of those guys.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and the Cubs have a bunch of free agents, Rizzo, Baez, Contreras in a year, uh, Brian, and, uh, you know, I say pay them all. You know, if you own Ameritrade, if your family owns Ameritrade and can make, you know, uh, a billion dollars worth of political contributions, and I won't say to which side, then pay these guys. Come on, get down the road. If you want to charge – increase the beer price go for it if you want to charge me more money fine
1: but I'm trying to get booed at wrigley now <laughs> yeah
0: well they're you know god gambling's coming into wrigley they did a deal with FanDuel or something there's so much that's changed let's let's just talk for a few minutes about your era and and what you guys did in the 1984 team with the Cubs a little bit just because it's fun baseball but when I was getting ready for the podcast I listened to a little of what we did last year just you uh, know I never for the first two years I did these shows I never listened to anything and number one Bobby's a you know got broadcast experience got a great voice and and you're you're fun to talk to because you know that's the way you are but you also were a hell of a baseball player and I listened to Harry Cals's call on your inside the park a game ending three run home run and it just it just isn't the way baseball's played anymore even the announcers
1: aren't like that well yeah i mean you can't you know harry carry let's face it much different than harry callis but nonetheless two hall of fame harrys i was a pretty lucky guy harry you. yeah what a great booth huh yeah and and then I got to work with Chip Carry a little bit, you know, right, in 2000 and then in 2016 in the, in the World Series. So I, I kind of got to uh, I get that that uh, longing for that maybe or, or we missed some of that, you know, and because if you if you hired Harry Carey today, he'd be fired tomorrow. You know, you, you just they wouldn't be able to handle it. Some some part of it. Right. It would be it would be highly judged. And I think that's too bad because we're mixing stuff these days that doesn't, I think it violates the spirit of the games when you mix up the stuff that in the news, politics, or whatever with the games we play football, baseball, basketball, hockey, golf, on and on. Cause you know me, I love sports. And if you mess like COVID mess with our sports, I felt the pain of that. Sure. That bothered me. Thank God for golf. You know, I think we got to go play some golf and the but, vaccine. Thank God for the vaccine. Well, Cause we're yeah, getting, I get it. We're but you know good. what I'm saying? Sports. Yeah. I just hate it when we mess with stuff that has been working so well for so long. And now you violate it with your own personal stuff, whatever it is. Okay. Leave it out and, and take it, you know, off the field and let them play the games without a lot of, you know, pain in the gulu, you know, about, Right. You know, I just wish they would, they would get back to that. And, and then maybe everybody take a deep breath and, you know, uh, right down to, uh, uh, to me, the old, my, I remember my grandfather said, you know, don't ever forget you have the right to privacy. And so it's okay to have maybe messed up, thinking you know but just be private about it right you know yeah and i'm not gonna get into all the y-fours and all that stuff but you know what i'm saying it's like to me i will say and i'm not afraid to say leave my games alone please
0: well and you know that goes to my i love broadcasters you know i've I've got my favorites and i've got my guys that i don't care for and I, i grew up listening to baseball on a you know on a transistor radio and and Bob Elson wasn't the most exciting guy to listen to White Sox games Milo Hamilton but but the Dwayne stats the the Tom Hamiltons there there are just legendary guys and and the deal with those guys whether they're doing they one does TV one does radio they talk about the game they don't talk about you know what you did with your girlfriend 16 years ago or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's almost beneath some of these play-by-play guys on TV to tell, to call the game. It's like, well, they can see what's happening. I'll tell them all the interesting sabermetrics crap I can come up with. And I hate it. And and you know what? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get into the grumpy side of baseball, but Fox wonders why their ratings suck. It... it because their broadcaster rhymes with suck and he may be the greatest guy in the world, but they should, they should change around, you know, God love Joe Buck, but the hometown real guys ought to get a chance to do the games. And, and baseball's losing people. And they hope their, their hail Mary is gambling Isn't that ironic for Pete Rose. They're hoping that gambling bails their ass out.
1: Well, and it's, you know, it's been going on. We all know, and, And it's great to have 40 years of, of kind of cleansing sort of, I mean, you got to go back 40 years to get into the eighties, right. To begin the eighties decade. And it's almost, and we, I remember talking about, you know, some of the old thinking, even back then, how some of it was just, you know, it was just outdated too much ego and too much BS, you know, yak about, you know, play till you drop it. You can't handle it. You know, now they take care of the players, you know, like, make sure they eat well and sleep good and maybe their personal life's in order. Everything's good, you know, and, and we care about you. We want you to be healthy of mind, body, and soul where back then, you know, the gambling, Pete, the sex, drugs, and alcohol, let's face it. It was out of control, not in baseball, in society. And, and still today I think you can look at the, the gambling end, end of it. It's just get it out from under the table, Jamie get it out, put it on top, let the taxation begin or, or, you know, people will be taking whatever they take kind of the old Vegas mob philosophy will take a little off the top and then everybody can gamble all they want. And there's revenue for everybody. Right. So, okay. I, I understand the thinking there, but you know, it's a, it's a, and that maybe is part of my liberal side, I don't care. I really don't care if they, if they do that, it's risky. But I think people are doing it anyway, so you know, why not? Yeah, make make it uh, make it more equitable or whatever you got to do there to, to to treat it fairly.
0: Well, and they've got in game
1: betting now, so that if you're at the Nationals game, yeah, if they ever right get to if play, you, they get you if get at p- the next wave. They're going to have kiosks in the stadium or something.
0: Yeah, and sports books all year round. They're trying to you know the. Las Vegas football franchise has a gambling book in, in their ballpark. The Cubs are trying to do the same and that's a whole nother subject.
1: I could be a consultant on baseball gambling. I would start it with don't do it. Okay, (laughs) It's a bad move. I don't care how smart you think you are.
0: Well, and and the prop bets are like, will, um, Luis Robert get more hits than Mike Trout today? I mean, there there's like thousands of ways to lose your money at these fan duel and, and these other things. But aside from that, and I was never a Pete Rose advocate for the hall of fame because of, you know, what he did allegedly, uh, whether he bet on himself or bet against himself, who knows you played with Rose and I have totally shifted. And I think Joe Jackson ought to get into the hall of fame. And I think Pete, and I think you were a Pete proponent because you, you admired Pete and played with Pete. What do you think now about the Hall has it changed your way of thinking with the Hall of Fame and Pete?
1: Yeah, well no, no look, I keep it simple. The Hall of Fame decides who they want in the Hall of Fame, you know, I mean that's ultimately what it, it's their thing and I get it. Uh for the fans perspective, which I am, and and I have a little extra sugar on top because I I've played with some of these guys and there's guys in there that that I, and, and not in there, that deserve to be, maybe, that I played with and against. And I can't think of one of them that wasn't flawed a little bit, Jamie. I mean, they're lovely men, but there's something wrong with them, just like you and me. And so I'm always careful about, yeah, you <laughs> at least you. <laughs> Pete, Pete, shouldn't have gambled on, we all know. That was a cardinal rule. Don't do it. Don't gamble on the games. He knew it. He violated the maybe the biggest rule in the book and he paid the consequence for it. So it is what it is there. Should he be in a hall? Yeah, you're right. I'm one of those guys who says, yeah, but you have to tell the whole story and how he messed up. And and there's other guys in there. You could add, you could do an addendum add to their plaque and say, yeah, but also, you know, I mean, I'm not going to name names. I don't need to, but but my point is, there's not a guy in there that's not flawed in some kind of way. And if you want to be overly judgmental, you could probably cancel him. You know, that's some fancy words today, right? right. Don't allow him in. I get it. You can have that opinion and you're right uh, to have it is, is certainly in play here. I'm all for it. Well. But I I kind of kind of look at Pete as a there's more than the gambling. There was some other things that people didn't really appreciate. And in Philadelphia it was brought up and there was a number of of things that, you know, the way Pete kind of behaved, you know, he kind of, he he wasn't contrived or apologetic really for a long time. And I think that really hurt too. So it is what it is.
0: Yeah. I think that um, you're right. And I don't know what the criteria ought to
1: be for the Barry Bonds of the world or. If I could go to the long list of, I like Pete because list, because he was a great teammate to me. Yeah. He helped me as a young player. He taught me. He loved the game, you know? He had a couple of flaws, you know, gambling women. I don't know. I mean, we can pick on Pete, right. but pick on yourself first. Okay. I got my own stuff inventory. So I try to quell it with, you know, the guy also was a great teammate, Jamie, and it's a shame that he's not still in some way in baseball and it's because of his own, his own choices. And, and it's too bad.
0: So switching gears to 84, when you, uh, when Dallas Green became the general manager of the Cubs and he brought you over from Philadelphia, as I as I recall, um, that team became a really, really one of the greatest Cub teams. But, but spring training, 1984, you're new to the Cubs. Um, I'm not sure if Fergie was still around, but uh, there's Dallas Green. God love him.
1: Now, one and, of my yeah. favorite... Uh, just people on the planet. and bring him up, and I get shivers. He, 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 was, he was my godfather of, ba- of baseball. Well, he
0: he did the Cup fans. Uh, you know, he he was maybe the first GM and in in a long, long time, maybe ever, to try to to uh, actually. I'm here to win the. I'm here to win the the World Series and and do everything yeah. I can
1: do. You know, he had got Castellanos times like a hundred in him. You know, pretty cool. So
0: pretty cool. So he was was the guy who
1: really brought us remember from the minor leagues, Jamie, Too kind of, you got to go back. Rhino and I were talking about that the other day at length on a zoom call. Matter of fact, and we talked about 1978, 79 into, into 1980. We were young minor league players and Dallas was our boss as our minor league uh, director. You know, he was the guy we negotiated those five, six, seven hundred dollar a month contracts with the minor leagues. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and he yeah. he didn't like to give up fifty dollars extra a month. Anyway, go ahead. But anyway, go ahead. You were saying about
0: no, that. no, 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 no. He, I, God, I I negotiated so many five hundred dollar contracts when Nellie and I had that sports representation business with Dave Dombrowski, sitting there nickel and diming me and Roland Heeman and all these guys. You know, we're talking about. Yeah, everybody f- who became, you know, pretty good ball players and Karkavice and Kenny Williams, who's the GM now or the president of the White Sox, but um, Bobby. Thick, lonely lonely. Yeah, yeah, a yeah, different time. Um, so Fergie was on his way out of the 84 Cubs, but the rest of the group was pretty cool. And how long did it, did it take you a minute or an hour to fit in with those guys?
1: Well, I already knew them. You know, a large part of them. I mean, the in the starting lineup, uh, I think there was five of us: boa, rhino, and the whole outfield. Uh, those five, and then you know, if you had the right guy on the mound—Ruthven or Bruce Starr, you know, Jody, Penguin, and and Leon were the guys. You know, from from other organizations. You know, Mets, Cardinals, and Dodgers. So, so we had it was truly a baseball card game you know the old game where you trade your baseball cards as a kid that's what Dallas was doing for real you know like I'll take I'll take five of those Phillies and one of those Dodgers Cardinals and Mets and that's going to be my team in Chicago he knew what winning looked like he knew kind of how they all fit together and and I think that was the genius of Dallas He really knew how guys and he knew uh, rhino and i had you know kind of one two lineup in the minor leagues you know for a few years together three to be exact before the four years we played in chicago so he kind of was betting on the come there that hey if these guys did it as well as they did it in a double a AA, and AAA, then i wonder what that might look like in chicago and when those are opportunities came, came along you're right fergie imagine that you, know, you can always do a lot of ifs and it'd be a lot different but i don't know what if you had a a healthy fergie and a healthy bill buckner and and you know then we then we wouldn't have had act you know we wouldn't have had uh i don't know how that all would have played out you know with the staff um yeah. but you know of course you wouldn't change a thing you know um uh, and the friends that i made including uh buck and fergie became have become two of my greatest friends. We lost Buck, of course, uh, in recent years, but, uh, just great people. And, uh, you know, you know, Fergie, I mean, Fergie's like the guy played for the globe trotter, you know, no. not just the Cubs and 20 wins six years in a row and on and on and on. These guys were, they were, they were throwbacks that I don't think we'll ever see again, Jamie, well, that, that, that generation.
0: And your buddy Sarge, what a great addition
1: you know, he yeah. was part of your
0: Philadelphia outfield that came over.
1: That's cool. uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the Texan, Moreland over there, uh, you know, Boa, he was from California. We had some ornery, feisty people. Okay. And I'll, you know, the quiet assassin Sandberg, he was the only one that wasn't too loud occasionally. Yeah. What was he looking for? us were too low <laughs> he was more he
0: was
1: more the quiet assassin he would he would he would uh, get you a subtle you know uh stink bomb so to speak you know or blow up your cigar with one of those sticks you know he'd be laying over there in the side of the room unsuspecting like he didn't have anything to do, do with anything and meanwhile Oh, you got our store, a starter or something? was Sutcliffe. you know, they'd light your shoe strings on fire and stuff like that. You know, but the rest of us were more bite or more bark than bite. You know.
0: Well, and you mentioned you mentioned Buck O'Neill, and uh, you know he was the first black first base coach in Major League Baseball and uh, first coach. And uh, you spent a little oh, time buck o'neill
1: yeah. uh, that's a whole nother library you know and and i have continues on the legacy there and i played uh golf with with bob kendrick a couple weeks ago uh with a couple of, i don't know if you paid attention but they've managed to have survived the COVID year rather handsomely thanks to a lot of generous people and they even helped out with vaccinations continue to, I think in that regard and, and plan on, on some events again, hopefully, uh, coming soon, uh, during the summer. And, uh, when, when we all, I, th- I think we're all hoping that, uh, that we're back in the ballpark really soon. Right. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, you already have been. I, I have been. been. Hold on a minute. All right, everybody,
0: we're back. We have switched. The high-tech capabilities of Jamie Ruski, uh laid an egg, and I blame it on the Internet, not Bobby nor me. So, Bobby, uh, can you hear me all right?
1: See, that's what happens when you get you know, two reasonably smart guys with an Internet that's not that damn smart, Jamie.
0: Oh, man, oh, man. You know, I think everybody in our building is streaming. And they're streaming Netflix, and you know what, and the internet capabilities go down. And I, at the beginning, we were like going great guns, and then at the end, you were cutting out, and I'm going, man, oh man, I, I don't uh, think we can keep going. So I appreciate your patience, and uh, I apologize to everybody for that breakup in the sound, but we're doing it the old-fashioned way. And, and I did a little sound check, and actually the clarity's pretty good, and of course... You've got uh, got that golden voice. Now we just can't see each other. That's the only
1: (laughs) that may be good. It was nice nice for a little while. I think we're all, you know, kind of in tune with that wave of the future and and, in a lot of different ways that may be, you know, kind of a norm now, right? Or at some
0: point. Yeah. So you were telling me about playing golf with Bob Kendrick, who was a guest on the show last week. What a great guy.
1: Yeah, and riding in the cart with him during a day four and a half hour a day is is always a great opportunity like it was with buck and i we were of course i always think of buck whenever i'm around bob and and we were at a golf course out there at lock lloyd where i i had more than one interaction with with uh, buck and bob mainly due to a mutual friend george hobbs who's quite a story in and of himself an augustine georgia native and big golf uh aficionado works for easy go golf carts and uh He's quite a guy and big big sports fan, great friends with uh, Ozzie Smith, which I forgive him for, and um, we get together and play uh, because of that occasionally. But it's all joyful, and and Kendrick talking about Buck um, always reminded me the the best compliment, one of the top three. I had like three, like I couldn't believe they said that, you know, baseball compliments, and Buck O'Neill said to me at one point, and we were riding around in a golf cart at Loch Lloyd on the 17th tee. And, um, or leaving the tee. And, and, and uh, whatever we were talking about, and he said, you know, Bobby, you could have played with us. And man, I was like, wow, that shivered me, you know? That's and because, cool. yeah, it was like an invitation, you know, from a angel on earth, you know, kind of, it was really cool. And, and then we talked about some of the reasons that he said that. And it was about like what you talked about earlier about the style of play, the action, you know, uh, level, the the constant motion of the game. It was always a hustle, never a drab moment. Um, at, at least, you know, for the most part, guys just, they just didn't strike out a lot. There were days they did, but, uh, that style of game and the energy of it. And that's what Bob talked a lot about and, and relayed some of those messages from Buck. And how the game was played back in those days, and uh, you know, in the early days, you know, in the in the 1930s and, and 40s and into the 50s, and and so I always I always took that to heart. Like, yeah, you know, and I I did that because we were generationally still in tune with the idea that that's how you played. You know, you always hustle, and that's why Harry Carey gave me you know, one of my other favorite compliments was that. He said, Bobby, you know what I love about you? You'll never get booed at home because even when you stink, you look like you're trying. <laughs> and, you know, only Harry could say that to you
0: and it, and it would come across right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Did, uh, did you ever go out and party with Harry after any games?
1: Well, the meeting with Harry was at the bar at the hotel you were staying around midnight. Yeah. If you wanted a meeting, there was a chance you could you could see Harry there
0: that's great yeah.
1: and you... otherwise he was out at some restaurant in whatever city we were getting another one of those free dinners Jamie you know he he had he had carte blanche in just about every city you went to you know he he was um, he was a true barnstormer you know in that sense of the word he brought his act on the road
0: and uh, I'll tell you what he, he played he played well for pretty much everywhere he went. I mean, he was a legend with the White Sox, and then he uh, was a legend with the Cubs and the Cardinals, and uh, really even the Oakland A's when he was out there for Finley. But, uh, you know, back to Buck O'Neill, he was a scout when, when my family had the Omaha Royals, and nobody had heard of him because he wasn't, he wasn't yet famous through the Ken Burns thing. But anybody that knew him, he was famous with anybody that knew the legend of Buck even back then. And as you alluded to when you're driving around the golf cart with Bob Kendrick, uh, and when I was doing a podcast with Bob, he would talk and he's got his own great voice, but I would hear a lot of Buck O'Neill in that voice. And, you know, Buck O'Neill would be in one ear and Bob Kendrick in, in the other, if you can imagine that. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's just, uh, uh, spectacular and Bob was saying that Buck may may be named in the golden era on the uh, ballot for getting into where he richly deserves to be and that's the uh, baseball Hall of Fame. but um, you know the comment that you could have played in that era you you could have played in in that era and um, you know the highlights of watching you guys play it's just it's just different and I, I'm not sure. If it's your heart that's different, your physical makeup that's different, or your your desire to win, I, can you can you kind of tell me what you think? The differences between your era and the way the guys played in on your teams, and what's going on now—is it the money? What is it?
1: Well, you know, and and you can only really speak in in large part from your own particular life experience and in my case I can tell I was really fortunate to have been born in 1957 in that when I had a chance to you know to sign pro in 1977 and play uh, my first minor league game in 78 and then get you know get called up to the big leagues in 1980 and play throughout that decade it was the time AstroTurf Speed uh, was was a a huge uh, part of the game. I mean, every team had a leadoff hitter who could run. Just about every team, and they were designed that way, you know, to be attacking, you know, offensively as far as running the bases and 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 being capable, you know, from line to line, so to speak. You can you can hit doubles and singles, and and you can steal bases and, and triples, and you know. And all that sort of style. But also, you had to bring a capability of, uh, to separate yourself, you know, from just a guy who hits 300. You also had to be capable, typically, of playing some level of, of uh, good, if not great, defense to make yourself really viable, you know, other than, because everybody wanted to hit home runs, even back then. Uh, it was always stylish to hit 35, 40 home runs. Okay, Mike did it. Uh, you know, Penguin could go with 20, so could Durham, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, there were plenty of guys that could hit home runs, but it, what it was, the pride of the game was more about playing the whole game, being capable as an everyday player, you know, to be able to not just hit home runs, I mean, and, and, and not be labeled as such, you know, you wanted, I think the pride uh, level there, as far as wanting to be reputationally known as a guy who could play the whole game. And the, even the guys that could hit home runs like Mike or, you know, or the bigger, stronger guys, you know, Sarge, Moreland, even uh, penguin. They all had, they all had that pride to go out there. And even though they may not have been, uh, the fastest guys all the time, but these were good athletes and, and they could, you know, Mike Schmidt and Ryan Sandberg, uh, for me, they—they they were just simply two of the best athletes I would play with. Not just baseball players. I mean, they—they they were complete athletes, in, in this whole sense of the word. And so, I think we had plenty of that back then. That guys just generationally—that's just how we were sort of born. You know, we played every sport growing up. Uh, the kids today—they, you know—and and for some time now, that's not the case. Uh, they're more—they're more. They're more you know, they they get in one alley earlier. You know, it's just all baseball all the time. Well, you know, we were still playing basketball or hockey or something in the off season. You know, I mean, it, it was just a different generation. So I just think generationally, uh, they've evolved today more into you know, and the the whole scientific act when it comes to hitting and trying to lift the ball, get it in the air. You know, uh, all the different analytical ways they can study you and, and, and try to tweak and, and they I know they're always trying to improve and that, and that's fine, but you also have to, you know, adopt that old Raymond Floyd. I always like to use Raymond Floyd as a good reference.
0: Well, it's, ma- he it's master's yeah. week. So that's a good time to yeah, use It, it
1: is master's week. So Raymond being the master's champion, he is, um, and Chicago cub fan, by the way, uh, he came in our locker room there in the mid eighties and we were talking about, he said, yeah, I used to switch it. Didn't you? And I said, yeah, I did it for about six months in the off season. And and then I took it into 83 and tried it. And I quit doing it relatively early cause I just didn't feel natural doing it. And I knew that it wasn't going to be, you know, it wasn't going to have a long life. So instinctually, I knew to just go back to what I did naturally. He said, Bobby. He said, it's always easier to practice and perfect what is natural than it is to try to construct something that's not. And nobody had a more personal sort of swing in golf than Ray Floyd, right? Right. Sure. And so it made sense to me. And I thought, gee, you know, there's some wisdom. Uh, it's good you advice.
0: Know I mean, it's if you think about it, it makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, it really did. And, you know, and so Not
0: everybody's Mickey Mantle.
1: Right, and not everybody can be, you know, one of Whitey's Cardinals who had a team that everybody was a switch hitter just about, you know? Yeah. It was amazing how I, many switch hitters.
0: I loved Whitey. And, and you know, every, a few of the things, as, as, as we have said before, part of the reason I do this podcast is because Nellie passed away and I don't have anybody to argue with about baseball and give my views and listen to his views. But oh, when, you, so when, bad, you, yeah. when you bring up speed, you know, that was Nellie. And uh, you know, he and Campaneris uh, typically led the American League and first to third and getting dirty and just kind of the old-time baseball with Billy Martin as a manager, Whitey Herzog, and uh, Whitey loved Nellie. But uh, you know, those those deals are those deals are done now. Everybody instead of drinking wine, they all have their own wine companies and I don't know. Am I getting old or what,
1: Bobby? No, you're getting older, and that's okay. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. And baseball, remember, always remember this about baseball. I have some of my most endearing memories even are from when I was, you know, 10 years old, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, like Campy's all over my wall. He was my guy, him and Lenny Dawson. You know, they were my guys. But I also have other guys. Like, you know, we've already talked about a few. But right down to, like, Harmon Kilbrew, I always... What a great name. And then I got to meet him, you know, and he's, you know, he signed a ball for me. I think that's, that's all part of the story that is baseball. And you never get old because of that baseball, whether you're born in 1870 or 1970, it doesn't matter. You know, that's the beauty of the game is that all of that reach back will always be there. Jamie,
0: I think Carmen even went to St. Croix a couple of times. Were you there with him during any of those Queen Louise tournaments?
1: You know, I was one of them, and and uh, I I also met him. <laughs> Talk about a great place to meet Harmon Killerbrew. and I'm with Bill Buckner. You know what a great act I mean, just to get to do. And so I'm meeting Billy Buck and and in Des Moines, and we're going over to Bob Feller's museum to meet Harmon Killerbrew. How cool is that? And do a day, right? Like, wow, what an opportunity. And so. Uh, it's those kind of moments and those kind of reach back abilities, I think, that baseball gives you if you want it. And I think partly that's why a lot of us are, it's like crack or something. We're hooked. Yeah. You know, baseball got us when we were like 10. And, and it's stuck. And it's still there. And I'm not going to let anybody take it away from me, you know, including people who don't like the voting somewhere. I mean... I'm sorry, but I get a little unnerved when people mess with my games, Jamie.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I hear you. Did you, did you uh, collect baseball cards when you were a kid like I did?
1: Big time. And I had not only that, I had a guy across the street. His dad was a wood, woodworker, an iron worker. He could do it in his garage, right? And so he had all this equipment. And he said, hey, boys, I noticed you got the baseball cards there. Why don't we build you a box? with little wooden dividers and we'll put 10 on each side. Back then there were 10 teams in each league, American league, national league, you know, one champion they met in the world series, right? 1960s. And so we created, not only, we put them in alphabetical order with the team picture baseball card at the front of each team. And we alphabeticalized them American national league. And at one point I had, Duplicates, triplicates, quadruples of everybody in the league in the nineteen sixties.
0: Let me ask you this: Did you keep those cards?
1: No, I gave them to my little brother when I took off for college, and um, and then he unfortunately didn't value them quite like I did. Yeah. And and him and my neighbor buddy uh, <laughs> next door uh, decided it would be a good idea to get rid of those in some garage sale in the nineteen. Uh, late 1970s, uh-huh. early 1980s, and, and off they went. So, you Robert, know, Roberto
0: awesome Clemente, huh? Roberto Clemente. Oh my God! You know they're, up,
1: they're, yeah, I had everybody, uh, and so, oh baby,
0: that kills you know, me. And I
1: was so campy in Kansas City A's yeah. before they moved to Oakland that I gave my uncle, who was my age, is still my age. Four months older. And, and I gave him, he was a Yankee fan. So I gave him all my Whitey Ford, Mickey Mantles,
0: Yogi Bear, all
1: that stuff. I, for all his Kansas City A's, Wayne Causey, Dick Green, you know, Ed Charles. I didn't care about the Yankees, you know? Dick because ha- the A's were my team until they left for Oakland and then I hated everybody for yeah. a year. Dick Hauser. So
0: we, we got the Royals. But anyway. Dick Hauser. Well, what about, I know the. When we started as a uh, Zoom call, and and even last year, you talked about working on your memorabilia collection a little bit. Uh, do you still collect? Do you display stuff from when you played? Um, how? Because, like, I'm a memorabilia freako, and um, I saw stuff on your wall. Tell me about your what you've got.
1: Yeah, well, and and I, I'm not, I've never been freaky about it through my adult years, but I did uh, have the wherewithal to, you know, collect a few over the years, both, you know, playing and mostly probably after I was done playing, because when you're playing, it's kind of, I don't know, in coaching, you know, of course I do a few, but I didn't like the I didn't like to bug the players a lot, Right. but there were opportunities. I can tell you, even as a player, it was, it was in me so deep, even as a player when uh, early on in 1982 with Philly and I'm a rookie uh, and I'm facing Nolan Ryan for the first time in my life, right, at at the Dome in Houston. And so I went to Mike and I said, hey, Mike, I said, I, I just want to ask. I said, you know, seems kind of weird. But I used to listen to Nolan Ryan pitch on the transistor radio when I was like 10, you know. And, now I'm, and he's like, this is, and Mike said, look, I can't sleep the night before I face this guy. So you're asking the right guy, right? So I said, look, would he sign a ball for me? He said, "Oh yeah, sure he would." So I sent one of the clubbies over, and I still have that ball that Nolan signed for me at the Dome in '82, and it's kind of faded, but it's still there. How cool! Yeah, and I've got things you know from back then, you know, that like Lynn Dawson signed, you know, uh, a couple of things for me—a football and a picture—and was very generous in that way. And and to me, it was never about the autograph; it was more about the intent that you would do it. Or that you that you liked to do it, you know, that you were willing a willing participant. That because I didn't really like to bug him, but bug a sure. guy, even though you know it was weird that way. Because I should have been probably more aggressive, but um,
0: it wasn't cool. It was you came. know,
1: I don't think it was cool back
0: then, I don't mean cool in the sense of blah blah blah. I'm sure that you know everybody that you faced or played with would. It just wasn't. Yeah, deal. I mean, like Nelly never until Nellie was out of baseball and he was yeah. trying to raise exactly. money for charity, he would never ask anybody for a, a, a bat. i right. bug him to death. Hey, can you get me a Reggie bat? Hey, can you get right. me a you know Prince Fielder yeah. bat? Blah blah blah. And um, most of
1: it was volunteered, you know, in a large part, like Yogi Berra going to his museum and spending a day with him and Willie Wilson wow. uh, years ago. And Yogi's like, "You want a ball?" I'm like, "Shit, yeah." <laughs> Pardon my French, but you know that that was the truth. And then, same thing with uh, Stan Musial, for example, when he was alive, and I got to go visit and play in his golf tournament down in uh,
0: Saint,
1: down in the lake. And and yeah, with the Missouri Hall of Fame, and and you know, he's like, "You want a bat?" He was he was he was like almost bashful to sign. Can I sign a bat for you? I'm like, "Well, sure, please." You know, and so. There were opportunities along the way that kind of came because I had those, you know, the good fortune to get invited to different stuff. And I'll do that again. I get to go down and, and do an event with the John Daly group, uh, in June down in Arkansas for charity. And, and, uh, I think we all know John's dealing with some tough medical issues right now and getting, getting an opportunity to meet him and some others that'll be there. Uh, you know, I'll take along my, a little, you know, a couple of extra balls or something, Jamie, you know, just to try to maybe yeah. add to the story and you know, yeah.
0: That's cool. You got to do that. I, I was representing a, uh, a nursing home in St. Louis that Mutual and Shane Deanst were on the board of directors for. And they, they asked if I wanted to play in the Kenny Boyer golf tournament up in St. Louis. And uh, so I played in that two years in a row. And my, the, the uh, celebrity that, that they, they put me with and that we rode around in two years going was uh, Al Rabowski. <laughs> <So,
1: laughs> oh, the Mad Hungarian. That, that's perfect. He, uh, he's he's one of my favorite characters in, in baseball. I mean, to get to have interacted with him on more than one occasion. What a uh, nice
0: guy. A really nice guy, and uh, he he took more than uh, more than enough time to try to get some free legal advice on a few of his personal <laughs> problems. But the Mad Hungarian. What a what an interesting guy! You won. Yeah. You were the only Cub ever in the history to this day to win a Gold Glove in center field, as I think. You, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Do you still have the uh, Gold Glove uh, uh, award that they they gave you for 1984?
1: Oh yeah, that's like you know, and and I'll I'll tongue in cheek you a little bit, but because I've been married three times, but um, that's that's survived you know, three marriages and, and it's not going nowhere. That's my, that's my buddy. I
0: was afraid to ask because the baseball card question killed me. Um, but I, I figured my God, uh, you had to yeah. hang onto that Rawlings Gold Glove Award.
1: Oh yeah. And it's, and it's still one of the greatest honors that I could ever, you know, again, got great compliment to be bestowed upon when you, when your peers, you know, vote you on an award like that. It's, and Mike Schmidt, you, know, you know, he's, I like to re- reference Mike because he would just blurt it out. And at one point, I remember Mike saying, "Look, the Gold Glove Award is the real All Star team." And it made sense, you know, because it's an end of the year award. It's voted on by the managers, and you had to hit or you couldn't play it every day and and been good enough, you know, to 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 be awarded a, a Gold Glove. Right. You know, so so that's that was his reasoning behind it. But it truly is the real all star team because it really indicates, you know, your prowess playing the whole game, not just hitting or not just fielding or not just pitching or whatever the case was. It was that you kind of played the whole game. Greg Maddox, as we know, what does he have? 19 or 20 or 25? How many gold gloves?
0: I don't know, know, but what a, I mean, what an all around
1: great. But he could not only pitch, he could play the game. That was the point. You know, the gold glove was about playing the whole game. And Mike had a great deal of respect. Matter of fact, that's why he retired in 89. And I was with him that day on the bus going to, to the airport in San Francisco, uh, getting right ahead to San Diego in May of 89. And he said, look, fellas, I'm done. And what indicated what the indicator to him was, there was a couple of balls hit to him at third base. And he had no reaction ability to, to make plays that he had been making for years. And he said, "That's when it's time to go home." So, I, you know, that was like, you know, oh no, you know, don't, don't leave us. You yeah. know, it was sad. You know, as a teammate, you know, we didn't want, didn't want him to, to retire. But he knew, and it was because of the pride he took in defense, right. Jamie.
0: Well, you would have hoped he'd moved over to first base, but you know they get some shots down there too. But you know, what a great. You know, he and George Brett uh, and and Hank Greenberg and maybe a couple other third baseman, but that's a freaky position. There aren't that many guys in the Hall of Fame played third base. I mean, it's it's uh, and and Schmidt obviously is right up there with with you know if you're gonna name the top twenty home run hitters ever, Mike Schmidt's right up there. And what a fun deal for you to. Be not only a teammate, but a, a friend of Schmidt's. But uh, but like with Willie Wilson too. I mean, you drop these names, and these guys are just your buddies. I know you talk to Gary Matthews, uh, you know, regularly, and Sandberg, and everything. And uh, you know, if we can ever figure out, if I can get a better internet connection, maybe we can hook Sarge. Or uh, played golf a few times with Willie Wilson. What a what a what a good guy. I mean, I'm not sure he got a good rap from the public, but. Um, there was a guy that played the game. It's that that whole that whole Royals eighty through 85, 86 to George Brett. like seventy
1: five to eighty five. Right, they were
0: killing it. And but and they you know they they all had the Helmeray attitude. They they didn't go out there to pussyfoot around. And all you got to do is watch uh, George Brett's reaction when uh, you know the Gossage home run was was called and out to see how intense. Uh, baseball players could be, and uh, that whole that whole team. I mean, whether it was bit players like Lecock or or uh, Cowan or you know um, Ul, and I don't know. N- if you... Hey,
1: Nelly, Nelly was on some early Royal
0: teams. Yeah, right? Nelly was uh, Nelly. You know, his license plate was Black Magic. No political context in that, and uh, you know he helped Frank White. Cookie Robots helped him. I mean, that's right. Yeah, it was the white rat was, was, those were the errors. And then Dick Hauser, who I loved. And, uh, you know, you were at the Academy for a while. So I don't know how many of those guys, I know you went through the Academy. I think, I'm not sure.
1: Frank. Yeah. And, uh, and they had, uh, uh, they had contracts too, because of Ewing, uh, Kaufman. Uh, they had that rare, I think, George, there might have been two or three guys. Quisenberry, remember they gave him yeah. lifetime contracts? Like,
0: yeah, what they did, and uh, it was George and it was Quiz. I and uh, who was the other one? There were three,
1: I think. Quiz, George, and then it Escapes Me.
0: Um, I can't remember either. Of that. I have a funny story. We are our, our loss. Well, it wasn't
1: Willie, right? What's it? That? Wasn't Willie. It wasn't Willie, and yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't it Willie, wasn't and Frank, in hell? I don't think it was Frank. It should have been Frank and Willie. I think but
0: it might have been Frank. You're
1: right. I'm not sure. I can't remember now, but we, none, I could ask Willie and find we, out. But there
0: was to, our firm used to put on seminars and I mean we had we started out early with the split orfs of the world and, and uh yeah, split. what a great pitcher he was. We had uh, all the way to Bob Costas, Rafer Johnson, and Bobby Knight. I mean, we picked up the game, not not a, anything against Split. But Quisenberry was a guest one year, and it was after he signed the lifetime contract, and I think it was about the time Nellie and I had this sports agency business thing going on. And quiz comes up to me and he says, tell me about what you and Dave are doing on this uh sports representation i said well you know we're trying to take some of the guys that would otherwise not you know be sought out from an agent and and give them representation in the hopes that you know we continue to represent them for a long time and quiz goes well i'll tell you what when i get another lifetime contract you can negotiate <laughs> it <laughs> i go that's so quizzed what a great guy he was
1: oh yeah he was he's sorely missed and it's been so long ago now um and, uh I've done a, I've done a number of things um uh, and they were uh, they were hooked up with I think it was Harvesters or Hope House um
0: Hey and Janie, I think it was Harvesters
1: I think it was Harvesters and in, in the beginning even after he passed and they did they did the tournaments and stuff and then uh, George has stayed of course stayed very connected and still does the ALS tournament I'm planning on going to that again uh out at Lionsgate and Tom Watson's a big part of that they, they do really well with that raising money for ALS
0: and so we leave it at that with the great Bobby De and so for On the Lighter Side of Baseball we'll get back in touch with Bobby D again we've got the uh, first part of the podcast on the Zoom call and then the second on the more traditional telephone hookup, and I think they both came off well, and hopefully uh, he's got such a good voice that you will be able to hear him. So Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple iTunes, this is Jamie Rutsky saying, not only have a great day, but if you haven't gotten a shot, go get a vaccine. It's fun, it's easy, and then you can head out to the ballpark, and eventually if everybody gets a vaccination done we won't need to wear masks. And if we don't need to wear masks, we can eat more, drink more, and yell more in a very supportive way. So I hope uh, everybody has a great week, and we will catch up to you later. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.